Welcome, everybody, and welcome, everybody, watching online and at Montrose. Thanks for gathering together this weekend and, uh, and connecting. It's, it's, I love it. It's awesome that we get together once a week. It's like God knew what he was doing when he said, let's, let's go on that pattern. And it's always great to see each other and great to spend time together and focus in on Jesus. So thanks for making a point to do that. Uh, we started a, uh, a new series last weekend called How's It Started, How's It Going?, and uh, in this series, what we're doing is we're just looking at Jesus's life and what is often called his public ministry, and uh, and how that starts to how that started and how that played out. So uh, when you look, when you look at the Bible and you, and you see how the Bible talks about Jesus, uh, we would know a chunk about Jesus's birth, right? So we would celebrate that a lot at Christmas time, and then we would know a couple of snapshots about like his childhood. But most of what we know about Jesus is a, a three-year period that we call his public ministry. Uh, and so this is where, this is where Jesus kind of comes forward and he says, I am the Messiah, I'm the Savior, I'm the King of Kings, I'm the Lord of Lords, I'm God. And it's during kind of that announcement and then afterwards that we really would know the most of what Jesus does. So the most of his teachings, uh, he, he does a lot of miracles in there. Uh, he tells a lot of parables, which are like illustrated stories. Uh, we would see him interact with his disciples. Uh, and then it, that would end like with his arrest and his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And then it would end in when he goes back uh, uh, to heaven. It's called the ascension. So this three-year kind of time frame, three-year-ish kind of time frame is where we get the clearest of Jesus' heart and mind and uh, the, the clearest understanding of who he is and what he's like and what he's, what he's called us to. So we call that his public ministry. And so we just started looking at that last uh, weekend. And last weekend, uh, Jesus was teaching at the synagogue in his hometown, and he kind of made the announcement that he was the Messiah and the Savior, and he said, uh, he said these are the reasons I, I came. This is what I came to do. He, in Luke chapter 4, he quotes uh, an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah, and he says, uh, this, is, this is why I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim the captives will be released and that blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. And this is a prophecy about the Messiah and Jesus says, that's me. And then afterwards he says, this is all fulfilled like today. Like this is actually happening right now. And so it's at that point, so to say, that Jesus kind of comes forward and he goes super public about who he is, who he isn't, uh, what he came to do, what he didn't come to do, and it's where our understanding of him kind of kicks into place. So it's fascinating to, to watch because when Jesus made that big pronouncement uh, last weekend, like it, it, that, when we looked at it, it didn't go so well, right? So when Jesus lays out who he really is and what he's really here for, there's always a lot of strong reaction around that. And when he did this last weekend in the synagogue, there was a strong reaction around that. Uh, the Bible says that the people were furious, that they mobbed him. Today we would say they tried to cancel him, and then they tried to throw him off a cliff. And so they were upset, you know, by, the, by this whole thing. And so they, they responded strongly to him because they had these preconceived ideas of who they wanted the Messiah to be, right? So uh, some of them looked and said, wait a minute, I thought you were going to come and like 
tell us we were right about everything and, and fix all of our political problems and kind of, you know, put the thumb in everybody else's eye and say, see, th- these people were right the whole time. I'm on their team. You guys are wrong. Other people would have said, well, I thought you were just whoever we wanted you to be. Like, we live life the way we want to live it, and like, you bless that, or you affirm that, and isn't that who you're supposed to be? And when Jesus kind of looked at both sides and said, actually, I'm neither one of those things. Like, I've come for some very specific reasons. I came to release the captives and help the blind to see and to free the oppressed. And, and, and I came to, to uh, interact with sinners and to rescue people. That's what I'm here for. These people were upset and these people were upset and it caused this massive tension, right? And so it kind of started that way and then it's kind of still going that way. That, that same tension would be something that I would have, that you would have, that everybody, everybody who encounters Jesus and looks at what he actually says winds up living in that tension kind of in, in one way or another, right? So what I want to do this weekend is I want to start to watch that play out and, and see how that tension plays out. And then as, as we see that like play out in real time in people's lives, the clarity of who Jesus is and what he does kind of gets crystal clear. And then it, it's always going to leave us with like our response and our reaction to him, right? So one of the places that this plays out, and you can kind of see it in a snapshot, is in Mark chapter 2. Uh, so if you got a Bible, you can go there if you want. Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus has is, is kind of come forward and he says, this is, this is who I actually am. The tension's in place, and you start to see this tension like play out in real time in this snapshot in Mark chapter 2. So in Mark chapter 2, Jesus and some of his followers get invited to dinner at this guy named Levi's house. And uh, the Bible says that they're there as dinner guests, and along with his disciples and Jesus, along with him, were many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I don't know why I like that title, but I I just do. Uh, Tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So what the Bible just told us was this, Jesus is having dinner with tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, and there's a bunch of people who are disreputable sinners who are following Jesus, trying to figure out what he's like and, and what it means that he's God in, in their lives, right? So he's having dinner with all of them. While they're at dinner, the Bible says this, when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? So the Pharisees, and we'll talk more about them here in a minute, but these Pharisees, these are the religious elite, so when he sees, they see him interacting with these disreputable sinners, they say, why is he eating with people, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Okay, so get your head around this a little bit, just kind of get this image in your mind. Jesus is defining who he is, right? He's kind of laying that out with clear, clearly there. And he goes to dinner, and there's kind of two, we'll call them categories of people at this dinner. There's disreputable sinners, and then there's Pharisees in this story. And each side of these people have expectations and desires of Jesus. 
and Jesus is being himself. And the, the important or the grand statement here is when he says healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do, I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who think they are sinners, okay? So let's, let's define these people a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these people kind of in categories so it makes sense as we're talking about it this weekend, okay? So the two categories of people are this. One category is the disreputable sinner, all right? So disreputable sinners as a category are people living a life void of God's definition and direction, so there are people back then and then today that are disreputable sinners. And a disreputable sinner or a sinner is somebody who looks and says, I do not want God's influence, I don't want his authority, and I don't want him telling me how to live, right? I want to live void of all of that or independent of all of that, right? Now, all of us, the Bible say, says, struggle with that. We all struggle with sin, and we all struggle with the idea that I don't want God or anybody else telling me what to do. And I would say to us, as North Americans, we can relate to this strongly. Right? So North Americans, our culture would raise us in such a way that we are raised to be very independent and a little bit narcissistic, let's just be honest about it. And we want to live the way that we want to live, and we do not want to be told what to do. In fact, generally in our culture, if you ask me to do something, I probably will do it for you. If you make me do it, I probably won't just because you made me do it. Right? And the Bible says that's not just a cultural thing. That, that is like the nature of sin a little bit because we'll look at God and we're the same way. And we'll look and say, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to live my own life. I want to define my own truth. I want to do the things that I believe are right and the things that benefit me. I want to define me and I want to have authority over me. And I don't want God to do that. I don't care. I don't want to know. And if I do know, I refuse to obey. That's a sinner, right? And the Bible says everybody is like that. Everybody's a sinner. And so these people are at dinner, right? And they know that and other people know that about them. They are disreputable. They have a bad reputation as sinners. And it's, it's built off of that idea that I, I want to live void or independent of God's definition and direction. So that's a category of people who Jesus is having uh, Chipotle with, okay? So these guys. The other group of people that are in this, in this account are Pharisees. Now Pharisees, Phar there's a bunch of details about Pharisees, but we're just gonna put them in a category, okay? As a category, a Pharisee are people who sincerely believe that they are the source of their own righteousness. So a Pharisee in the ancient world was somebody who looked and said, no, 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 I've read the rules. I've read the God rules, and I keep the God rules. And because I keep the God rules and I keep them so well, I don't need God's forgiveness or his grace or his mercy. I have made myself righteous. I am self-righteous. And because I'm self-righteous and because I have made myself that way, I'm going to look down on people who have not achieved spiritually what I've achieved 
They, they, you're still smoking, drinking, and chewing. I'm not. I stopped doing that. You have issues in your life. I don't have those issues in my life. There must be something wrong with you that you have not achieved the, the spiritual success that I have achieved. I am self-righteous. I, don't, I live devoid of God because I don't think I need him because I have achieved what he wants me to achieve, right? So these are the people that, that are in this story. Jesus is having dinner with all these disreputable sinners, and apparently a bunch of the people who followed him were disreputable sinners. And the Pharisees are looking in, and they're like, Why? if you're God, and you're a holy, righteous Messiah, Savior, Son of God, why are you having dinner with scum? We're not scum. You should be having dinner with us. And you see this tension. Jesus is not who these guys want him to be, and Jesus is not who these guys want him to be. And in the midst of that tension, Jesus winds up defining himself. And he winds up looking and saying, you don't understand, I've come to set the, the captive free, I've come to free the oppressed, I've come so the blind, I've come to preach good news to the poor. I didn't come to do what you want me to do, I didn't come to do what you want me to do, I came to do what my father wants me to do, and you need to understand that, and so let me define that for you, okay? Now then when you go on and you read about Jesus, that's what you see him doing. You see him kind of in between these two sets of people, and he's not working on a compromise, he's working on a third way. Not your way, not your way, my way, a third way. And this is who I am, and this is what I like, and this is what I'm calling you to. I'm not trying to be who you want me to be. I'm helping you to become who I have called you to become, right? So I want to spend a few minutes and like talk about this a little bit and just think about these two categories, okay? So let's talk about the sinners first. So when you think about how Jesus interacted with sinners, the the Bible says that Jesus came specifically to rescue those who know that they are sinners and desire forgiveness and a new start and the hope of salvation. I didn't come to people who think they're healthy. I came to people who know that they're sick. And I came so that when sinners realize, acknowledge that they are sinners, they can connect with me and I can help them and heal them, all right? And you see Jesus do this all the way through his public ministry. He interacts with sinners all the time, but he interacts with sinners in, in different ways based on how they acknowledge their sin, right? So for someone who is a disreputable sinner and is rebellious against God and is hard-hearted against God, usually what you'll see is you'll see Jesus going to them, pointing out their sin and warning them that their sin is gonna lead to their spiritual death. So Jesus will go to them and he's like, you're, you're shaking your fist at me literally or spiritually. You know that you're in sin. You don't want to be defined. You don't want to be under my authority. You don't want to yield to me. And you are rejecting me. You're rebellious against me. And I'm just letting you know I love you and that's not going to work out. That, it, that way seems right to you. Seems like your truth but in the end, it's going to lead to spiritual death. And I love you enough to tell you that. 
And if you will come to the knowledge that you are a sinner and you need my help, then you will come to the place that I came to meet you. And I will meet you there and I will help you. And you see this happen all the time throughout Jesus' public ministry. So uh, three categories of sinners that Jesus interacted with a lot was, uh, was tax collectors, prostitutes, and people who had physical ailments that other people thought were judgments from God, right? So, and the Bible will talk a lot about Jesus interacting with these guys. So, Jesus would hang out with tax collectors. In the ancient world, a tax collector was someone who had relationally betrayed their people. And today, if, if we were to if we were to think about how we would perceive someone the way that ancient people would perceive a tax collector, we would probably look at people who are on the opposite side of a political aisle from us. Like they're so wrong and I can't believe they did this and they're, they're like betraying the country. Uh, we would probably look at someone who like stabbed our family in the back can you believe aunt so-and-so did such and such? And I can't believe she hurt us so badly. Uh, someone who, who, um, who grew up in the church and has renounced the Christian faith. I can't believe they're doing that and saying that. That's not true. That's how ancient people would view a tax collector. We would probably view those people. So Jesus would hang out with people like that. And he would interact with tax collectors. The other people, that, that the sinners that he hung out with all the time were prostitutes. And prostitutes were moral outcasts. And what's fascinating in the ancient world, prostitutes were moral outcasts from the religious side and the non-religious side. So everybody looked down on a prostitute. And everybody would have been like disgusted with a prostitute. And Jesus would hang out with them all the time. A prostitute today, if we were to think of people through the lenses they thought of a prostitute through, we would think of people who were struggling with their sexual identity, uh, people that we viewed as morally perverse, uh, people that we viewed as sexually confused or twisted, uh, anybody that we, we would look at and say their moral lifestyle or their sexual activity uh, is repulsive to me. That's us thinking about somebody that way is how they would have thought about a prostitute, right? And then the third category that Jesus often hung out with was people who had a physical ailment that other people assumed was a judgment from God, right? And, and we would, it, the, the equivalent for us today would be um, AIDS. Well, they, were, they weren't sleeping around and they would have got... Or, um, or uh, lung cancer, if you, I told you, they shouldn't have been smoking. A liver failure, they, they drank like a fish, you know. And, and like we, we would be ju- uh, the unvaccinated. If you would have got the vaccine, you wouldn't be in the hot. Right? Where we would look and say, the reason that that's happening to you is because you did this, right? Would be how we would look at those two things. And the Bible says that Jesus hung out with these people all the time. And when these people, these would be the disreputable sinners, when these people came to the knowledge that they were sinners, they would come to the place that Jesus came to meet them. And you'll see this all throughout Jesus' life. Uh, In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking about a tax collector. 
tax collector goes to church, he beat his chest in sorrow for his sin against people. He says, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you this, I, I tell you this sinner returned home justified before God. He's disreputable, comes to God, I, I am disreputable, a disreputable sinner. And what he found when he came to God is he found the reason that God came to meet him. He found mercy and being justified, made, made right again with God. Okay. Uh, same thing happened with a prostitute. In John 8, lady's caught in adultery. She's a prostitute, thrown before Jesus. Jesus knows her heart, knows her mind. He knows that she's sorrowful. He knows that she's repentant. He says, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. And then he looks at her and he says, now, now leave your life of sin. You're forgiven. Right? She, she is a sinner. She, through shame, she got caught having an affair. Through shame, she's brought and that's all exposed. And in that shame, there's repent. She's like, I, I do repent. I don't like my life. I hate where this is going. She's like, I forgive you. I forgive you. You've come to the knowledge that you're a sinner, which is the very reason I showed up. You realize you're sick and the doctor's here, and, and I forgive you. And then the same thing happened with a guy with leprosy. Uh, so he's out in the village. He meets this guy with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he declared, if you're willing, can you heal me and make me clean? And Jesus reached out and touched him, which was very taboo. I am willing, he said, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. Th this guy, you know, everybody else would be like, That's a, it's, he doesn't just have leprosy, he's got like an advanced case of leprosy. Well, he comes to Jesus, and he's like, I, I'm broken, I'm at the end of myself, will you help me? And Jesus is like, yeah, I will, actually. Uh, you bowed your knee before me, you're interacting with me as I am a, a, a savior, a messiah, king of kings, lord of lords. Like, you get it, you've come to this knowledge, I'm more than willing to do that, I want to do that, right? And when Jesus was interacting with these, it was blowing the mind of the disreputable sinners and the Pharisees. Because these guys are like, if you're a holy man's gonna reject us and hate us. And Jesus is like, actually, not at all. I mean, your heart's hard, you're shaking your fist at me, I'm not shaking my fist at you, man. I'm just being honest with you about your sin, and when you're honest with yourself, I'm right here. Right? And the Pharisees are all messed up because why are you hanging out with scum? He's like, well, I, I never called them scum. You called them scum. I don't think of them this way. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And so I'm here. Right? That's who I am. Right? Now, it's fascinating it's Jesus looks at the disreputable sinner. He's like, if you come to the knowledge of your sin, then you will come and meet me at the place that I came to meet you. And what he also does is he says the same thing to the Pharisees. The Pharisees just don't want to admit it. He's like, you guys are as lost in your sin as they are. What Jesus would say to the Pharisee is, he would look at them, and you see this a lot as he's teaching. He would look at them and he'd say, your self-righteousness actually pushes you further from my heart. Like because these guys are like, I don't want you, and you guys are like, I don't need you. He's like, it's the, it's the same thing. And, and you don't understand that I, 
I'm here for you too. And if you'll come to the knowledge of your sin, then I'll, I'll be right here too. In fact, Jesus, in John 3, he's talking to a Pharisee. His name's Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like trying to figure this out. And Nicodemus is like, I grew up in the church. I kept all the rules. I mean, I don't know, what, what, who are you and what's this about? And so Jesus meets him and he's talking to him about who he really is and what he's really like. And he, he looks at Nicodemus. He's like, Nicodemus, you should know this. Like you're Israel's teacher, man. And like, you should know this, but you don't quite understand it. So let me like summarize it for you. You think that God is about rules and you think that God is about getting yourself to heaven and you think that God is about making you better than other people. That's not what I'm about at all. And he says this to the Pharisee. This was spoken to a Pharisee. He says this, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his sons to the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God, God didn't love the world by giving you a set of rules that you have to follow. He, gave, he loved the world by giving you me, Nicodemus. And, and I, didn't come, I didn't come to look down on people like you do. I didn't come to condemn people like, like you condemn people. I came to save them. And I know, I know that's hard on you because I don't, I don't affirm your beliefs or your thinking or your practice because they're sinful. But if you, would, if you would acknowledge that, if you would know that you're a sinner and you would meet me at this place, this is the place that I came to meet you. So it's this fascinating thing where, where Jesus is like, I just don't, I don't fit into the camp. I'm, I'm not going to. That's not who I am. And, and every time he does this, it, it absolutely causes this tension where these guys aren't right and don't care, aren't even thinking about God, and now suddenly God shows up, there's a tension. These guys think they are right, they do care, and they're pretty con- convinced that they handled it themselves. And all of a sudden God shows up and there's a tension. And the tension is responding to who Jesus actually is and how that plays out. Right? Right. Now, how's it going? How's it started? It started like that. How's it going? Kind of like that. <laughs> like that tension is still there. So if I'm going to respond to the real Jesus, what do I do with all of this? Right? How does that play out right now in real time? I put it down this way. Uh, I said this way. If we're going to do this, we have to embrace the heart of the doctor. All right? So Jesus, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I have to embrace this heart of this doctor. Years ago, in 1992, uh, Heidi and I uh, came over to Norton, Ohio for the first time. We were still in college. And uh, we came over to what, we call, what is now our Norton campus. And we came to Norton Church and we were interviewing to be, I was interviewing to be the youth pastor there. And, uh, and so we showed up and we met a guy named Bob Combs. And Bob Combs is kind of the, kind of the founding pastor of Grace Church, certainly the one who put in our, our, our spiritual DNA and, and our, our understanding how to love and interact with people. So Bob is this amazing guy, but he is a, an experience. If you've never interacted with Bob, he, he is like Yoda. He's about that tall. 
but if you thought of Yoda as like hyperactive, that's Bob. And so he just, he's just this experience to hang out with. So Heidi and I are meeting Pastor Bob for the first time. And we're just trying to like download the Bob Combs experience. And, uh, and we're walking around the Norton campus. They had just built like their gymnasium and stuff down there. And so Bob's kind of showing us the church building and we're trying to get to know each other, you know, just kind of break the ice. So we're walking around and we're in the gym and uh, we're standing there in the gym and this lady walks in and she's like, Pastor Bob, can I talk to you? He's like, yes. And he just leaves you. And that's what Bob will do. He'll like just disappear. And so he just left us and we're standing there like, guess we're here in the gym. But I started shooting baskets. I'm like, what do you do? And so we're just standing there and he goes over to the corner of this gym and he talks to this lady for a while and he's really animated about everything that he does. And they finish the conversation. He comes back to me and he goes, man, oh man, man, oh man. And we're like, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, that lady's a miracle. She's just a miracle. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Like, what are, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, she's a miracle. He goes, she, she used to be a prostitute, and, and I met her in a drug rehab, and she got clean and sober, and she had lost her kids, and she came to know Christ, and she started to come to church here, and God rebuilt her life, and now her family's back intact, and she volunteers with our children all the time. She's a miracle. And I'm like, all right, that's a pretty good miracle right there. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one. I'm like, that, that's fantastic. And so we're walking around some more and we wound our way up to the lobby of the, of the Norton campus and this guy walks in and this whole thing plays out again. And this guy walks in and Patrick Bob, can I talk to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're sitting there looking at, you know, the bulletins and, and there's Bob over there talking with this guy, super animated, and he comes back and he's like, that guy's a miracle, he's a miracle. Well, I'm in now. I'm like, what's the story? And he's like, oh, he was an alcoholic and he left his wife and I had to go into a strip joint and pull him out of there, but I didn't look at anything. And I, da, 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 you know, and I got him into rehab da, 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 and now he's one of the elders of our church. He's a miracle. I'm like, that is incredible. That is incredible. And I looked at Pastor Bob and I said, Bob, I said, you got a bunch of screwed up people in your church. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, we like it that way. We like it that way. And he said, the church should be a hospital for hurting people. And that's the way we like it. Right? Now, ready? If I'm going to follow, not be a fan of, but follow the real Jesus, I have to embrace the heart of the doctor. And that embrace you look at what like Pastor Bob was doing, comes from two directions, right? If, it, if, if, if the church can be a hospital where the doctor can do his work, it has to come from two directions. In order for those stories to be true, and they are true, and there's a gazillion more, Pastor Bob had to embrace the heart of the doctor. So the Christ follower, right? The Christ follower has to embrace the heart of the doctor. And Jesus is the doctor, and he loved sinners, ready? In the depth of their sin. If Pastor Bob embraced the heart of a Pharisee, then we would have all the programs to keep the sinners away. 
because they might infect our kids and they may have different opinions and they may vote the wrong way and who knows why they got those problems in their lives. But the heart of the doctor doesn't reject the sick. The heart of the doctor runs to the sick and the Christ follower has to embrace the doctor's heart. It grieves me. One of the things that makes me the most sad, it grieves me that all too often the last place that a spiritually sick person would ever turn to for help is to the people who are called to represent the heart of the only one who can help them. When someone is spiritually sick and they've betrayed and they've walked away and we vehemently disagree, when they're lost in their sexual sin and they're lost in their immorality and it's... It's in areas and arenas and ways that I cannot even relate to. And when I would look at their life and say, well, that's your bed. You have to lie in it. If you had not, then this would not have. You wouldn't have leprosy. It's heartbreaking that the people who are the most disreputable would feel the least welcome at the family of God's table. And to have the heart of Jesus, to embrace our doctor, that's difficult. It's confusing, it's messy, it's foreign, and it's the exact reason Jesus showed up. So that when they begin to know, they can come to the place that Jesus came to meet them. You don't have a miraculous story about a prostitute unless she's welcome in your church. You don't have a miraculous story about an alcoholic in a strip joint unless she's welcome at your table. So the Christ follower has to embrace the heart of the doctor. Now here's the other thing. So does the sinner When your doctor looks at you and tells you truth that you don't want to hear, nobody likes it. And your doctor looks at you and says, you know, your cholesterol is too high. When my doctor looks at me and says, hey, chubba bubba. When your doctor looks at you and says, your life's trajectory 
is going to lead you to pain, it's going to lead you to sickness, and it's going to lead you to death. And the only way to avoid those things is to change or repent. The word repent means to turn around, to repent, to turn around. You have to change to avoid that. Nobody likes to hear that. Nobody wants to hear the word cancer. Nobody wants to hear diabetes. Nobody wants to hear that anything that I am doing, that I enjoy, that I like is harming me. And no doctor who knows that that is true could ever consider themselves loving if they didn't tell you. The doctor is not condemning you. He's not looking at you and saying you're a jerk. He's not looking and saying I hate you. He's not looking at you and patronizing you. He's not looking at you and saying you're dumb, you're disgusting, you're foolish. But he is looking at you and saying you're, you're wrong. And I, I can't love you if I don't speak that truth to you, Jesus would say. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. And unless the sinner embraces the heart of the doctor, why would the doctor say what he's saying? What would his motive be? When the Christ follower and the sinner when the Pharisee and the disreputable come to the knowledge and they admit, I can't earn my way to heaven and I'm called to love people as I've been loved. And they admit, I'm on a path of independence that leads to destruction. My truth leads in death. Jesus looks at both and he says, you know what? That's why I showed up. I, I didn't show up to fight you. I didn't show up to scorn you and rebuke. I showed up so that when you call for mercy, when you call for healing, when you find out, Nicodemus, that your truth was not true at all, and this is what truth is about God, and you embrace it, I came to free you of that oppression, to heal you of that spiritual blindness, to give truth to your spiritual poverty, to set you free from your spiritual captivity. That's who I am. Right? Now here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. It, work, it started this way, it works this way. That good news, ready? Ticked everybody off. Everybody was honked off. They were furious because Jesus would not affirm their lifestyle and he wouldn't affirm theirs. 
They wanted to cancel him because they had their truth and they had their truth. And they wanted to throw him off the cliff because they wanted to live in their blindness and they wanted to live in theirs. It made him so mad. And all he did was say, I'm here. And I am who I am. And I came for you. And the same thing happens today. Jesus still offends the parts of our hearts that are pharisaical. I don't want to hear that I'm supposed to love my enemy. I mean, you can say it in general, but don't talk about somebody that I disagree with politically or is sexually confused or, I don't want to hear it. It's still offensive. I don't want to hear that God won't affirm my life. I want... I believe this, this, and this, and God should bless me, but he's not going to. I don't want to hear. See, it's still going that way. We're still offended by it. And the tension is still there that that I, I have to come to the place that Jesus came to meet me. He didn't come so we could make him like us. He came so that he could make us like him. And he's not going to fit He's not going to fit in either one of those categories. But he's going to love you. Because regardless of what your sin looks like, the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace, and the wonder of God is still available. Now, you know what's super crazy? Super duper? Ready? God would look at you and say, if you're a Pharisee and you think you're self-righteous and you don't need this and other people don't deserve the grace, God be like, that's fine. Here, I raise my hand, I go, I don't like you, I don't want you, I don't even believe you exist. God will look at you and say, you know what? If that's where you are, I want you to know something. I still love you. And you cannot get away from me. Because no matter how fast and far you run from me, I will run faster and I will run further to be next to you. And when you awaken, when you awaken and you know that you're a sinner, turn around and I'll be standing right there. You can hate me and I love you. You can ignore me, and I love you. You can deny me, and I love you. All right. The band's going to come out and settle in, and uh, they'll have to move the stage a little bit, so just ignore that. In fact, why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes while they, while they do that? Get ready to lead us, okay? Maybe I can ask you a couple questions. Here's one. Are there any parts of your heart that are pharisaical? Is there anybody that you would look and say they're not worthy of love? They're so disgusting. They're so rebellious. They're so... Is there any part of your heart that doesn't embrace the doctor's heart? 
And maybe you're simply lost in sin. And you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness. You've never placed your life under his definition and his direction. You've never embraced him as God. Both ends meet in the same point. It's not your way, it's not your way, it's Christ. So what Jesus calls for is repentance. To turn around. I I was self-righteous, I don't want to be. I was rebellious, I don't want to be. And if you'll turn around and run to the Father, run to Christ, His Son, what you will receive every time is mercy and grace and forgiveness because Jesus came for people who know they're sinners. Jesus, in these moments, would you, through your spirit, empower your word and press in? Would you call the unrepentant? Would you convict the self-righteous? Would you empower and impassion your people? you draw us deeper and deeper to yourself.